everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT, newly minted supervisor and EFT therapist. And you might recognize this lovely lady that we have with us today. This is Gail Palmer. She is one of our beloved trainers here in EFT. She's also one of the co-founders of ICEF, and she's a social worker and a marriage and family therapist in Canada. She's up in Ottawa, where ICEF is, and she works very hard for all of us at ICEF. So make sure that if you get a chance to say hello to Gail, give her a big hug and a thank you for all of her oh, hard work. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And we have her back on our show today, and we're going to talk about EFFT. So emotionally focused family therapy, which mm -hmm. is one of the newer legs of EFT, even though if you know how to do EFT, it's, you know, <laughs> you just move it over. So Right. It's a natural and, extension. Yeah. 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 So Gail, thank you again so much for being back with us today. And can you kind of start us off by helping us understand what might be the major difference or the most obvious difference between using EFT for families versus couples? Okay, so that's really a, a great question because you're right, EFT is you know a, a, the same across modalities. However, with families, you're working with a different kind of relationship, right? Mm -hmm. With a romantic relationship, you have a mutual give and take uh, with parents and children. It's not a mutual relationship. Right. It's a one way street as opposed to a two way street. And, you know, that um, difference in the hierarchy really does impact the way we work, um, you know, specifically with emotion uh, with parents in relationship to their children. The goal of of the therapy is different. And there's some differences in how we work in stage two uh, when we're working with families. So all of those differences relate to um, the different kind of relationship that, that you have between parents and kids. So that's really great. I love the way that you distinguish that, you know, with adults, and this is just given to us from attachment theories that adults have reciprocal relationships where uh, caregiving relationships, whereas for parent and child, it's not necessarily reciprocal in that, parents aren't going to demand that their child give to them the same kind of love and care that another adult or a romantic partner would give to them, which right. is a really big factor. But that doesn't necessarily mean that kids, that parents can't fulfill, fulfill sorry, where's my tongue today? <laughs> yeah, parents can't be, can't feel fulfilled by the love of their children. Definitely. Just as much yeah. as, you know, love anywhere else. Right, right. And, you know, because um, both uh, parents impact children, children impact parents, mm -hmm. right? So it's not like there is no, um, you know, the child's interaction with the parents does mm -hmm. impact and affect the way the parent mm -hmm. responds. And we have the same kind of patterns that can um, evolve uh, interactionally because mm -hmm. of that reciprocal kind of uh, impact on each other. However, the responsibility between parents and children is different. That's right. That's right. The roles are a little more, well, hopefully a little more defined and, and they're boundaried differently because of the expectations right. and the, the role of being a child 
and not making adult decisions and having to pay the mortgage versus, you know, versus the parent can't go to school and, <laughs> you know, right. Right. recess and all that stuff. So. Yeah. And, and when we're thinking about attachment specifically, right. I mean, because emotionally focused family therapy is attachment based, just like working with couples and individuals, what we're really looking at in family work is a caregiving aspect mm -hmm. of uh, attachment. So, um, you know, with couples, we're looking at the, the bond and the connection and the closeness and that the focus is really on the intimacy between the couple. Whereas with parents and children, it's not necessarily how close parents are with their children because yes, I mean, that is a, a byproduct. Um, but in terms of what's important uh, in attachment, it's caregiving the parents being able to give the care that their children need, right? And the children being able to take in the care that the parents are giving. So it, it you know, it is, um, it does involve, it is a dance still. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. Well, the dance of attachment between any two beings is just that it's a dance. And I love, you know, really what you're saying is that in EFT, we're sort of focusing on the fundamental pillars of how attachment is built because you're focusing on the parent-child relationship. I mean, unless you might be doing like, you know, um, adult family members, you know, but um, which we'll talk about a little bit in a little bit, but, um, you know, helping the family to build secure attachment that consistent, secure caregiving relationship that without we know can lead to all kinds of ramifications and implications for children later in life so this is right. really important to, to yeah no I think it's it's vital and it's essential because typically families get in trouble is struggling right when a child is having um, some kind of difficulty that's usually what will bring a family to our office um, and usually what happens is in the face of the child's um, struggle, parents start to react emotionally. Mm -hmm. And that reactivity can look like either an overreaction where your parent gets highly anxious and becomes, you know, controlling or intrusive or critical, which then has an impact on the kid. You know, they either, you know, respond in kind or withdraw and you get that kind of dynamic happening and once families are stuck that way they can't actually resolve the problem right whatever the child is struggling with the family is ill-equipped right to be able to actually deal with whatever you know problem they they're facing so the way i look at our our intervention is that we're equipped equipping families to be able to solve problems together Right? right, that we're resourcing the family through secure attachment to be able to access all the other, you know, um, you know, places or services where they can get help. Uh, that's right, so and that's where that link, you know, with the couples counseling is, you know, trying to equip them to solve their own problems and using secure attachment as those pillars that access the resource for that. Now, if you're doing, so if you're working with the family and let's say it's parents and young children, will you work with everybody in the room together at once or how do they sort of run a session? Right. So I think it really depends on the child and their ability to, you know, um, express themselves. 
certainly EFFT was developed uh, initially. Our first research project was with adolescents um, in eating disorder clinic in, uh, in the Ottawa hospital many years ago, probably about 20 years ago now. And, um, you know, but we have started to expand it to younger children. I think it really depends on the therapist's skill uh, in terms of engaging that younger child. I mean, do they have, you know, um, ways of helping the child express themselves through art or through play therapy? Uh, certainly there are therapists out there that are able to do that. Um, for me personally, I, I need to see a child that's able to verbally articulate what, you know, um, what's happening for them. Um, and I've had six-year-old girls that are quite capable of, you know, expressing themselves. Um, so it really depends on the child too. And if you find that the child is not able to articulate themselves, what, what would the therapist then do next? Well, I think then we would work with the parents, right? Because then it's helping the parents um, start to um, see their own re uh, way of reacting to the child, starting to see their child through a different lens, that starting to see their behaviors as maybe, you know, attachment bids that have become, you know, scrambled and are hard to understand, you know, they're coming out in misbehavior um, rather than, um, you know, straight kinds of, I'm scared and I need some, some you know, comfort or a hug. Um, so helping the parents start to um, be able to translate the child's behavior. Um, and also then also coming alongside the parent and seeing what's happening for them right, um, when they get triggered by their child's misbehavior, right, right. what goes on inside for them, um, because, you know, oftentimes we start to, you know, blame ourselves or blame the child, and that then leads us to, you know, not really be able to respond to what the child's really needing. Now, what really stands out to me is that when you're working with the parents, even though you're, you're sort of in a way doing couple therapy at that time, it's not about the parents relationship. It's about the family cycle. So, right. you know, what happens when, when your child responds in this way, what happens inside of you? So it's really processing it much differently where it's not in between the couple and their romantic relationship, but what happens between us as a unit with our child, which is very right. interesting. Yeah, no, and uh, you know, that's such an excellent point, because not only are we going through the parenting door when we're talking to the parents, we're also looking at what's happening between them around their parenting, right? Because that dynamic, right, in terms of the caregiving alliance can certainly, um, you know, become a block as far as the parents being able to respond to their kids. So, you know, oftentimes, it, you know, we're going to be talking about their couple relationship without talking about their couple That's relationship. That's right. That's right. And I think oftentimes, I think one of the most common issues I've had come up between parents around parenting is just um, a difference of, like, one parent's being too harsh and the other one thinks the other's being too soft. So it's like a difference of parenting styles. And sure. But I'm guessing that that would probably be treated more as the content rather than the process. The, the, con the content would be the difference of opinion over parenting styles where they get caught in the family cycle and not able to come together as a team to unite and be with their child or 
you know, how yeah. they're doing effectively. Right. And yes, yeah, so we're looking at that process and how they're getting mm -hmm. stuck in that, mm -hmm. um, in that cycle. Um, and, and also validating each, each parent, right? Because mm -hmm. what we have going for us in family is that we have parental intent to care. Right. You know, it's in there. It may look pretty hidden and it may look, you know, like it's hard to find, but it's in there. And so just like with couples, we assume that that desire to care for the child is there. And it's, it's got blocked by, you know, a number of different factors, one of which might be how my partner is, is re react, responding to the child, right? And I think that's particularly evident in step families. Right, yeah. when you have a different quality of relationship mm -hmm. between the step parent and the child and the, the um, biological or uh, adoptive parent and the child. And that can be really hard. I find that blending families is, seems to be particularly sticky for some families um, with that like tendency to almost like this is my child and my bond and you're outside of this. So there's not a lot of integration together as a family unit. And I can kind of see how this would unfold in the cycle. Yeah. And how you might bring up, you know, it, it could almost look like um, some avoidance to, you know, maybe there's fear underneath there that if I bring you in and my child fully bonds too deeply, that if something happens between us, then my child will be heartbroken <laughs> I could deal yeah. but you know my child will be heartbroken so maybe I kind of inadvertently keep that parenting dynamic at a distance you know so I can really see how working with this too would bring up a lot of implications for the parents as people and their couple relationship and I would imagine that a lot of their own issues that might not have gotten solved would come up differently around parenting because if they didn't receive empathic or consistent caregiving as a child or they had trauma that sure. they never addressed. I've yeah. seen that come up a lot, you know, it's like now I'm a parent and I have suddenly all these issues with my childhood that I'm staring me straight in the face. And Right, you know. right. So those generational influences are, are in there, you know, and you, you have parents that um, are going to do exactly the opposite of the way they were mothered or fathered. Right. Mm -hmm. So in, on some level, they're still not really seeing the child that's in front of them. They're really responding to something that was missing for them. Um, so our goal in working with parents is help is helping them become more aware. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, how would you bring that out and, and make that more clear? I, I love how you said that, that they're not really seeing the child in front of them and they're responding to like something that happened to themselves, how would you really pull that out and make that, distill that very clearly? Right. Well, you know, the way it's happened when I've been working with families is as we're reflecting the process and as we're working with what's, what's happening for you right now, right, as you see your daughter. I remember one mother I worked with who was really hypervigilant about her um, you know, 19-year-old girl, including, you know, going on her Facebook page and just constantly, you know, hovering over her. And as we started to unfold that dynamic, I mean, there was historical, you know, um, influences there. And, and she just started to talk about, 
you know, when I was 16, no one cared about me, right? I disappeared for three days and no one even knew I was gone. And she started to weep. But it was only with staying with the process with her daughter and starting to really um, pack her own emotional responses that this memory popped up, right? And she was able then to look at what was really behind her hyper uh, vigilance with her daughter, right? Mm -hmm. She was wanting to give her daughter what she never got. And, and that, that is so beautiful. And I love how you say that you've stayed with the process and really trusting the process helped this deepen and unfold and come out. And sort of what pings my radar, I can just sort of hear with clients is, um, you know, where maybe they start to dig in and they get real rigid around, well, this is just good parenting to, you know, chase after, you know, chase after your child on Facebook or monitor. And how do you sort of delineate the difference between good parenting and anxious behavior or avoid? Well, I would validate the intent, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I hear you. Of course you want to be there for your daughter, right? That makes perfect sense to me. All of us as moms want to be there, right? We, you don't want to leave your daughter alone and unprotected. Is that right? Is that what's happening for you, right? That you don't want her to be vulnerable. Can you help me with that, right? So I would just go into that experience and validate it and not get drawn into the discussion of what is good parenting, right? Because I actually don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not up to us. Yeah. Right? Like, and even the like experts have different opinions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, it's trusting that w when we look at what's happening relationally, right, and how people are responding emotionally to one another, right, when they're able to be, have their feet on the ground and not get triggered then they're able to have conversations about, you know, what is an appropriate curfew, you know, for this child, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then you're able to, to do those kinds of things. It's, right. it's when, when you've lost your balance, right? You can't mm -hmm. actually make those decisions. That's right. When they feel disconnected, then that, you know, that fight or flight brain comes on the threatened brain and then we're in protective mode and we're not able to maybe make the most a decision about what's best because we're, we're stuck on survival. <laughs> so right. we tend to down and you want them to feel connected and then they can find their own solutions to, like you said, what is a good curfew, for example. You know? Right, right. And, you know, the other side of it is, it, is that they're, I mean, the kids can have blocks too right? Mm -hmm. Adolescents um, can be, you know, locked in their um, trust of their parents, in their, in, the, in their parents' availability or in their parents' acceptance of them. Um, so there may, so it can be, go, it's a relational block. It, it's not always the parent that's blocked, right? The kid might be, you know, mm -hmm. stuck in their, um, you know, rejection of anything that their parents are having, you know, are offering them. And we want to process that too and see what's going on there. Because there might be, you know, uh, some kind of injury that's happened. Um, you know, we have attachment injuries in these relationships, just like with couples, um, where the child has decided 
that their parent is not available, mm -hmm. right? And that um, they don't really care and it's up to them to look after themselves. So these discussions that parents might get into about behaviors, the child is just, you know, built a wall and is, is rejecting what the parent has to offer. Now I have a kind of a deep question along this line that I've seen come up a lot is sort of the opposite where parents become a little fearful of setting boundaries. And, and I, I've heard a lot, a lot of my parents try to quote the attachment research, but I think that they're not quite getting it, <laughs> but yeah. you know, thinking that, you know, we have to say yes to our child all the time. And if we say no, then they're going to get distressed. And, and so, and we're already busy and we don't get enough time with them. So the couple really isn't able to draw any boundaries that yes, mom and dad need some mom and dad time to, to tend to our relationship and you can go, you know, we're going to help set you up with an activity to keep yourself busy for half an hour. So like parents won't even set those boundaries. Like we need to say yes all the time or we feel so guilty. How mm -hmm. would you sort of unpack that or put that into the cycle? Well, again, it's, it's about the parent and not the child, right? Mm -hmm. It's a bit, it's again about what happens to me when I think about saying no to my child, right? There's some kind of fear response that starts mm -hmm. to, you know, rise. And it's about like, maybe my child won't like me, right? Um, maybe I won't be able to follow through if they say, you know, they give me, they push back, right? They get frozen in terms of not knowing how to set that boundary. Mm -hmm. So I would want to explore what's happening inside of the parent when they think about setting that kind of boundary. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, I remember a, a couple, a family that I worked with, and the couple both had um, strong relationships with each child it was like there's two teams you know in the family and the parents were estranged so that kind of set up that that team like um, structure in the family and the father had real difficulty in setting boundaries with the, the daughter he was less close to because of his own fear that you know I'm already not close to you. I'm already feeling like you're on mom's team and I don't have any influence on you. That for me to say no feels like, it's like I'm, I feel useless and hopeless and totally inadequate about that. So really helping the parent explore that and understand that. And then, you know, um, maybe turning to their partner if their, their partner's available for support around, you know, um, giving some reinforcement around their own competency or the therapist acts as a source of support that your, your child needs this. Your child needs you. Your child needs you to be a parent, mm -hmm. right? And having that kind of support, um, you know, along with the awareness of what's blocking them, then allows them, them to take that step. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because they're getting frozen for a reason. Yeah. I right. find it also real common with my real busy parents that they just say, I don't want to deal with the fit my kid is going to throw if I say no, which is going to take more time and I already don't have enough time. So it's just easier to say yes. Right. Right. But they're bringing it up for a reason, mm -hmm. right? Because there's another side of them that's saying, what am, what am I doing here? 
Mm-hmm. I'm always saying yes, right? It's, it's because I don't have any time and I feel guilty about that, right? There's mm-hmm. something happening that they're even talking about this, you know, dilemma that they're in. So kind of, you know, being, helping them um, look at that dilemma that they're in, right? Because on one hand, yes, they do do not have time. But on the other hand, they know that's not what their child needs. Right. 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 And somehow they think by saying yes and avoiding the fit gives them more time, but then they still have less time because they're allowing the child to permeate their time again. And so that's kind of like the cycle that they could. So I can kind of see how this would get mapped and unpacked. Right, right, right. Because if it's yes this time, then it will be not too long before there's another request, right? Yeah. And it goes around and around, right? Yeah, this can get really deep and complex. And I really... You know, even if a couple's not coming for parenting, I think therapists, you guys should take the EFFT training because parenting dynamics still come up even in our couple sessions. And it sounds like there's so much here that's just so helpful to learn how to unpack a little bit more deeply. And I I think for some therapists, parenting issues is really hard. How do we treat it like, like content and that struggle between, well, you know, is this good parenting and how do I unpack the emotions behind it and put it into the process? So you're, mm-hmm. you're saying so many wonderful things. I'm like blown away. <laughs> this yeah. is so awesome. Well, you know, I think that we can't really separate out the couple from the parent. That's right. Right. They, they, they're so entwined with each other because if, you know, I mean, you know, we love our children and we want to do the best for them. And if we see our partner not responding in the way that we feel our child needs, what's going to alienate us the most, right, is this, this parenting um, conflict. So, you know, being able to hold that and see it as a, a bigger, it's, it's more than content, right? Yeah, that's right. And it can fuel some real uh, negative um, disconnection for the couple. And Mm -hmm. being able to kind of uh, walk into those conversations and still hold the model, right? You're still going to be doing EFT. You're still going to be tracking the cycle. You're still going to be looking at the underlying emotions. But you're really, what you've got on your side is, um, like I said before, that the, the, parenting intent right so you know we fall in love with our children and when we when we have children together that's a bonding thing for couples right but it also can be hugely dividing as much as it brings us together it can separate us Mm -hmm. um so um being able to kind of hold the whole family um even if you've just got the couple in your office. That's right. Now, what if you have the whole family come in and it's more than just parent and one child? Is there sort of a cap on how many family members we would work with in this session at one time? Um, Typically, we want to see the whole family together uh, as a first session just to get the the picture of how does this family interact together. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But when we start to, to do the work, uh, we're going to be working dyadically because um, attachment is, you know, a dyadic process, right? I have an attachment with my mother that's different than my attachment with my father. So even if we have multiple members in the room, we might be just working with mom and son right? Mm -hmm. And the others are observing. Mm -hmm. And you can do that if your family isn't hugely reactive. If you've got a hugely reactive family, you're probably Mm going to have to do dyadic sessions Mm -hmm. uh, as a way of structuring the therapy. Um, Because you won't be able to get any work done because you're busy (laughs) trying to, you know, uh, uh, organize the conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. But if the if you're leading the session, other family members get absorbed in the work that you're doing with one dyad, right? Yeah. Because it impacts them. And it's like modeling. We, yeah. And, you know, what we use as a guiding principle is we start with the most distressed dyad, right? Mm-hmm. And when you have a distressed dyad in the family, it permeates. It permeates amongst all the other family members. So usually they're interested in seeing this dyad get some help, right? And seeing them start to have new conversations then starts to, you know, impact their sense of safety, their sense of, you know, um, connection and, and is there someone there for me? So you might then do some work with one child and one parent and then the other child pops up and you shift your focus, Um, so how many people you have in the room depends on your family. Yeah. On the family, how reactive they are. And I'm supposing that the therapist capability also might play a factor. Yeah. And certainly developmental issues. If you've got older kids and really young kids, um, you may not want to include the younger children because it's not, you know, appropriate for them to be involved. Step families is another one where you would, I would initially work with the um, step couple separate and the, the bio and adoptive parent and children separate, right? Because um, that inside outside process that you were referring to Annabelle mm-hmm. is a natural process. It mm-hmm. happens in all step families. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's part of the development of step families. So typically we see step families in the first couple of years when they're dealing with that inside outside. And oftentimes there's loss. Um, you know, step families are born of loss. Um, so helping the family uh, and the children and their parents work through that loss together then helps the step family formation. Yeah. over time yeah that's really amazing and, and like we mentioned before step families you know can be particularly sticky because blending a family is hard it's hard yeah and, uh, you know i had a family that said my family's not blended they're lumpy oh. right oh. i mean it's blended is a misnomer right because oh, yeah. yeah it's even that term um, sort of yeah. said something that is, you know, I mean, I'm in a step family. I've gone through it. Um, I'm in it. I still go through it, right? There are mm-hmm. certain dynamics that are just characteristic of being in a step family. Mm-hmm. 
Can right. you talk a little bit more about that? Well, it's just that their the relationships are different. Um, and, you know, depending on, you know, when the family gets together, I mean, certainly younger children have a chance to bond and be siblings together. Older children, maybe not so much um, because their history is with their, you know, their bio parent. Um, and also uh, just in terms of every anniversary, like every kind of special occasion, Christmas or, you know, birthdays or weddings or whatever, the whole kind of step family divorce thing comes into play, right? It's always a theme. You know, it's less of a theme as you go along and families start to, you know, get a rhythm, get a rhythm and, and know their place and how they fit and how do we fit together um, and how do they belong together. Um, but those kinds of events are, uh, are always, um, you know, a reminder of the different kind of relationship. Like I have a different relationship with my children than my stepchildren. And there's a loss for me that, you know, I can't share with my husband that mutual love that you have for your children. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that is kind of always there. Yeah. And I've, I've found that dynamic has snuck up in some of my couple sessions where, you know, one partner, the step parent, maybe doesn't under understand the bond between a parent, you know, their spouse and their child mm -hmm. who is also adopted. And it's sort of an interesting dynamic. Um, yeah. To navigate. Right. Especially if that parent hasn't had children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The step parent. I, I mean, I had a family that was just like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really, you know, what the work was about was strengthening the step couple, mm -hmm. right? That the, um, because the step parent was, is feeling very outside, yeah. right? Like they don't belong, mm -hmm. right? Being a stepmom, it's like you're invisible. You do all the, the work <laughs> oftentimes, right? And yeah, like, yeah. there's no kind of reward, you know, of the love of the children, coming your way um mm -hmm. i mean I, I mean i'm talking it's a tough spot to be in <laughs> yeah it's hard and uh, but i think you know over time um that does start to shift and change i mean patricia paperno uh has done a lot of research on step families and what she says is that the the fastest development of family identity for a step family is seven years Right. Wow. That's how long it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a yeah. long process. It's a long process. And, and, and that's the fastest. And that's the fastest. And the thing is, when you fall in love for the second time, it's usually like, yay. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, hey, I've, you know, I'm, I had a do over a second chance. Yeah. And then your kids, it's like, it's not so easy. They didn't invite this person. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, so there's, it's complex, and I think um, knowing the complexity is important when you're yes. working. Yeah. Now, that, that author that you just referenced, she has a book? Two books, yeah. Um, uh, Step Families in, 
Developing Step Families, Patricia Paperno. Patricia Paperno. Yeah. E-R-N-O-W. Okay, perfect. So you guys can remember that. Now, another quick question is, would would the, the family therapy dynamic change a little bit when you're working with maybe grown children who are leaving the nest or out of the nest? How would your sessions look a little bit different versus the kids that are still at home? Yeah. So that, I mean, I've been getting for adult children and their parents. I don't know if it's just, you know, a sign of the times, but um, the way we think about it is that it's still, um, they're still parents and they're still kids. However, they're almost equal, right? Mm -hmm. The the gap has obviously narrowed. Um, However, usually why um, these families are seeking therapy is that there's some kind of rupture. Usually there's some kind of attachment injury that hasn't been healed. So, um, you know, working that through, um, I think the big difference is the intensity of the emotion because you've got adults and you've got history. Yes. Right. And, you know, to be honest, I did my first, like, authentic, like, I've had family therapists visit couples therapy sessions for, like, um, you know, a repair and such but it was really the couple that I was doing the therapy with but I did my first authentic like full-on family therapy session it was a co-therapy session with another EFT and it was also my first co-therapy session I I'm so blessed that I had such a wonderful co-pilot and we danced so well together in the nice. session but I cannot imagine and it was with you know a, a couple that had been married like 30 years and had huge major issues on their own but then they had a college age child and there were issues there. And, you know, we did so well together. I could not imagine trying to handle that session on my own as a single therapist. I mean, there was a lot going on in the room and three adults that you have to hold and be able to navigate between. So can you talk a little bit more about if you are a therapist, a solo therapist doing these sessions? Right. Um, Yes. I mean, I think ideally, you know, the co-therapy is with families. And certainly when I've worked in hospital settings where you've got the luxury of teams working together, you know, it's so much easier to do that. But in private practice, it really doesn't, um, you know, isn't practical. And I think that's really when, you know, getting supervision, um, you know, having consultation um, is critical. And, and also structuring your sessions so that they're doable. If you're overwhelmed with the number of people in the room, then make it less number, you know, make it smaller, work with, you know, dyads because, um, you know, it's not necessarily like you said, it's, it's the complexity. It's, you know, all of these multiple realities and, you know, you're trying to juggle all of them and keep every, the Alliance going with everybody. Um, and if there's like multiple hurricanes at one time, it may be too many to hold. So right. you're saying that it could be a good idea to, to break it down a little bit and hold one hurricane at a time. Exactly. And that's, you know, I, I don't think that's about therapist competence. I just think that's right. just because that's what the structure yeah. that you need. Right. right. Best practice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So being able to really tune in and know your ability and how much is alive in the room and, you know, am I going to be doing the best in service of my client to attempt to try to hold all this or will it be more effective to slow it down and separating it can be that way of slowing it down so that we can handle one storm at a time. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes total sense, right, to do it that way. Because, yeah, families are complex. You're, you're working on a number of different levels. You've got subsystems that affect each other. You've got history, um, attachment history impacts, the, the couple dynamic impacts, right, the age of the child impacts, right? So there's so many different things happening. Yeah, and I would imagine... Um, that once we are able to sort of calm the storms in the dyads that we could then bring them back together and work more together in a group again. Right, right. Yeah, no, I think that's essential when you've done, I mean, I've done a lot of um, family therapy where I did do, because our initial research was based on that model, right? full family uh, initial session and then dyadic sessions and then consolidating was bringing the whole family back together again and integrating the dyadic work that had been done mm -hmm. um, so that all everyone was back on board together. Yeah. Yeah, man. This is really amazing. So Gail, you guys just wrote a new book that's out now, right? The EFFT book. Can you talk more about that? Yes. I am so excited. It's our first, first too. yes, emotionally focused family therapy, uh, and it's available on Amazon. And I guess they just reduced the price for hardcover, uh, restoring connection and promoting resilience. And Jim Furrow is a lead author. Um, and there's um, George Fowler, who many of you know, and Lisa Palmer Olson, and of course Sue. Um, that contributed. Do you, you help write the book too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, it's been in the works for about a decade. So I am so excited that we have this text, right? Because I really do believe, I mean, I've been doing family therapy since the seventies and I do believe that EFFT is revolutionary because what we're doing that's different than other family therapies is that we're actually processing parental blocks rather than educating rather than teaching rather than coaching rather than going around their block we're actually going into their experience um and i think that takes like bravery <laughs> yeah but we know what we're doing right when we've got yeah. attachment and when we've got the eft model so um that's what, what excites me about this text, because mm -hmm. I really do think we can make a difference mm -hmm. in family therapy, which, you know, I think family therapy came, kind of fell um, to the sidelines there for yeah. a couple of decades because we didn't know what we were doing. That's right. That's right. And I think that's when the coaching and the psychoeducation started to take flight. And it's been hard to break therapists out of that habit and even convince them to yeah, be a family therapist. <laughs> like, right. I don't know what to do. Yeah, you know, exactly. Really, yeah, and having EFT as their roadmap, you know, and session by session and in between sessions can help them feel more able and more equipped with the skills to feel like I know how to be there for a family and where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do here. 
Right, right, right. Because otherwise, you're going to have to be an expert on everything, yeah. right? Every child problem there is, you know, and like we were talking about earlier, parenting, you know, um, you know, models of good parenting and, you know, an expert in all these things. And we're not expert. I'm not an expert. I'm an expert on, you know, on relationships. Yeah. Um, and that's something that as EFTers we have to offer. Yeah. We're good Gosh. at. Even as you say that, I feel so overwhelming about how that's sort of the mentality of, of a lot of non-EFT modalities is, you know, I see a lot of therapists struggling to be experts on everything. And right. I've even tried to be an expert on a few things and it's just, it's so much, it's so much to hold and it's just not really possible or feasible. It's just not really feasible. So, you know, being able to focus on the truths of attachment and the process really help people find their way through any, any of life's problems, really. Exactly. Well said. Yeah. So Gail, now do you have other workshops? What, you know, tell us about your websites right. and workshops that you do. So um, on the ISEFT website, um, there is a separate tab for under um, current, no, what is it? Um, trainings. Trainings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Events, I think it says. Um, there is a tab that says EFFT. So all the EFFTs are separate and they're listed there. Um, so there are trainings. Um, we, we do um, a, an intro two-day training. And we also have started doing a level two training for those that have done. Um, the level ones that really want to uh, focus in on the core competencies that are unique to um, family therapy and those are all over there's um, the next one is going to be in Arkansas Little Rock in October um, but there's you know Jim and I are doing a few uh, in um, here in North America and in Europe um, but they're happening so yeah mm -hmm. take a look at the ISEFT website they're there yeah so when you say level one and level two, now there's not like a separate certification or anything for EFT. It's just sort of basic versus more advanced skills. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Perfect. The certification will, yeah, will remain the same. Um, this is just if you want to develop your skills uh, yeah. with Yeah. Yeah. Now, where can folks find you if they want to schedule you to do an EFF training or any other training or maybe attend one of the trainings that you're offering? Uh, so uh, uh, they could contact me at uh, my email address, scalepalmer53 at hotmail.com, or they could call the um, OCFI office here in Ottawa um, 613-722-5122 and my daughter will answer because <laughs> she's now the receptionist here. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. So, and do you yeah, have a personal website where you No, I don't. No, because I'm a member of I'm a member of the Ottawa Couple and Family Institute so um, that's really uh, yeah, the best place to get a hold of me. Okay, yeah, man. You need a website so you can list all of your publications, all of your training events, so we can fan follow you. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. Well, I need someone to do it for me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe my stepson, who's very good at, yeah, he's, he could do it. <laughs>
That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gail, thank you so much just for all of the hard work that you do for EFT, for ICEFT, for the community. You are really just a blessing and so amazing. And thank you for coming on the show today and giving us the benefit well, of your wisdom. Thank you for inviting me. I've, this has been a pleasure. You're absolutely welcome. And guys, if you didn't check out our other episode, Gail and I did an episode uh, a while back about EFT certification. So make sure that you check that out if you're looking to get certified. And make sure to the subscribers, I just want to say thank you for tuning in and you're helping some of our videos get to 10,000 views. So hopefully that this video will get as many. And just thank you for staying tuned and make sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way. <laughs>